the edge of the familiar, where your comfort zone ends and the unknown stretches before you. That's where greatness awaits. Are you ready to take that leap? This is the Risk Big Podcast with your host, Travis Fitzwater. Thanks for listening to the Risk Big Podcast, Stories of Starts with Travis Fitzwater. Find episodes online with show notes at www.riskbigpodcast.com slash episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter by following at Risk Big Podcast. Well, I'm here sitting here in St. Louis at Lewis and Clark Ventures with Helen Shashelsky. Very, very thankful that you joined the podcast. I've been looking to have a venture capitalist on the podcast because I want to kind of get your inside knowledge of how you fund deals and the characteristics of a, of a good deal and what you look for in entrepreneurs when they come in. But also you're unique in the sense that not only are you in the venture side, but you wanted to have an understanding of entrepreneurship on, own, on your own personal level so you could speak into that piece too. So I really want to get into the, to that really quick before we kind of your story in general. Uh, that leads up to your own business and then being a venture capitalist. So why don't you start with how you got into venture capitalism and how you how you um, began this journey. Okay, that sounds great. So um, first of all, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for making the trip to St. Louis to, to meet with me and hear my story um, and uh, look forward to sharing it with your listeners. Thank you. So uh, I joined um, Ascension Ventures about six years ago and prior to joining Ascension Ventures I was um, briefly in investment banking and corporate finance prior to that but uh, first got bit by the entrepreneur bug in college I took an entrepreneurship class um, one of the first financial models I actually built was for a, a gentleman who wanted to buy a truck a semi truck <laughs> to, to run his business um, and from that point on, I started building financial models for early stage companies that were looking to get off the ground and continued to do that until I joined um, Ascension Ventures, did, you know, did uh, financial models for startups on the side uh, and have enjoyed watching some of the companies that I first built financial models for go on to succeed and, and other ones, you know, close up shop. But it's been yeah. fun to watch the journey of those. and. Uh, was at Ascension Ventures for five years before joining Lewis and Clark in February of this year. And how is how has the transition to Lewis and Clark been? And tell me a little bit about the differences. Why it was important for you to come over here, and as opposed to staying with Ascension. Yeah. So um, Ascension Ventures was uh, is a great strategic uh, venture fund. They invest all in healthcare, um, IT services, and med tech, uh, and we had. Uh, I think 14 limited partners, all of which were nonprofit health systems when I left. Um, I made the decision to come to Lewis and Clark actually uh, for a family decision. I wanted to go part-time and as we were talking earlier, uh, I work two and a half days a week, which is a bit rare as a venture capitalist, but I love it. So it allows me to work on Pumpy and uh, spend time with my two kids. Yeah, so tell me about Pumpy because this is your venture, your own personal venture yes. outside of this to kind of get a feel for what entrepreneurs go through, so you have some experience, you know, as a venture cap, actual experience as a venture capitalist in the entrepreneurial field. Correct. So, um, Pompey is what I have lovingly referred to my side project for the last oh two and a half years now, and uh, it's uh, started from my own problem. I'm a mom of two. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, 
and uh, the company was founded when I was washing breast pump parts, um, you know, every night when I'd come home from work. And one day at work, I was just, you know, laying in the chair in the nursing room and uh, was fed up with washing pump parts. And it occurred to me that I could not wash one more breast pump part. Like, and it was just like the thought of that was just horrifying. And so I was like, you know what? I could solve my problem. Um, I could create a product. I could solve my problem. I could hopefully solve other moms' problems. Um, and in the meantime, learn what it's like to actually start a company and, and learn what the people that I invest in uh, go through. And you know, maybe make myself as an investor a little bit better uh, because I could have that understanding point of view. Uh, two and a half years later, I've realized it is definitely not as easy <laughs> and that, uh, you know, when people actually make it to our doorstep uh, at Lewis and Clark or at Ascension, um, when they're ready to raise a Series A, they often have, you know, a million dollars in, you know, annual recurring revenue and 10 customers. And like, for me, I am nowhere near that point. Um, and I've been at it for two and a half years and I've been proud of what I've been able to achieve and I've certainly messed up along the way, but it really, um, it's given me a whole new level of respect for the risks uh, that the entrepreneurs that we invest in take and the success they've, they've achieved just by making it to our doorstep. Yeah, and tell me a little bit, so we talked about this a little bit on the phone and I thought it was very fascinating before I came to St. Louis last week, but you mentioned that your product sphere is, your marketable sphere is so much smaller than who you're working with and how that really kind of was a light bulb for you, a light bulb moment where like, oh, my my niche is, even though your niche can be a decent size to most people that don't know, you know, don't know much about business, yeah. but you're dealing with on the venture side, folks that have tens of millions of potential customers. Yeah. So that was one of the, the things we were talking about was uh, one of the, the lessons I've learned is, um, and venture is market size is important. And when I started down this road, I realized one of the rules uh, of venture that I might be breaking per se is going after a large market. And uh, you know, there's four million babies born every year. They estimate that 50% of moms are still breastfeeding at um, you know six months. So I figure my target market at best was two million people. Sure. Um, and at the sale price of of a pumpy bag of you know $35. Uh, it's not exactly a, a venture backable market. And so that was one of the, the conversations yeah. we were having. Usually venture capitalists look to back um, businesses in, in large markets and you realize, um, you know, I was taught why I should care about large markets and that is if you um, do go out and raise venture money, you're expected to grow um, a business and uh, seek a return and exit of the company and you need enough customers to be able to buy the product to create a big enough business. Um, and what I, uh, one of the rules I, I broke going into it knowing it was that my, um, if I only had one product, my market was quite small. Um, and so one of the decisions I made early on was I'm not just going to have one product, I'm going to have to have five products. Yeah. And so uh, that's one of the lessons that I've learned on the venture side and I've attempted to, to implement on the, the pumpy side. Sure, and if I'm sorry, I didn't mention this before we started, but if you wouldn't if mind putting your phone on on uh, air, oh, yeah. air, airplane mode because the it'll interact with the microphones. <laughs> sorry about that. <clears throat> I always forget to ask people that. <laughs> so, um, how has 
how has the pumping business gone in your two and a half years? When you look at it, how do you when you evaluate it? How do you what do you think about it? I think I've learned a lot, which was my number one goal. Is sure. I think that if if it all ended today, um, I would have learned a lot. I think that I'm proud of myself that I that I made it two and a half years and I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> I'm still out there selling product. Um, I I keep telling people that 2018 is the year of Pumpy. I've uh, you know you realize. Um, in starting a business and then also in the businesses that we invest in is that you have to um, grow the business one step at a time and you can't grow the business 20 steps ahead of time there are certain things you grow um, and then you have to adjust and so uh, one of the things that uh, I had failed as we were talking about earlier um, earlier was that I failed to stand up sales and marketing on day one. Um, I turned my website on. I was so <laughs> proud of myself. I announced. I sent a huge email to you know to all my friends and family and acquaintances and said the store is open. Come by. Yeah. And I sold them to my mom and my mom's friends and my mother-in-law. Um, and then I got no more sales. <laughs> and I was like, so I was like, what the heck did I do wrong? Yeah. And you know, so I'm calling all around and I should have known this. I mean, like literally I invest in companies and I ask, what is your sales and marketing plan? And yet I, I didn't develop one myself. And so <laughs> um, I realized that I didn't develop a sales and marketing plan. And so then I went out and put together a sales and marketing plan and figured out moms are on Amazon. So I went and sold on Amazon. I went and got somebody to help me with marketing um, and did that. And then I realized my rate limiting factor was actually manufacturing. And so I could sell the products, but I couldn't manufacture them quickly enough. Sure. And so you learn, um, you learn through each iteration. I'm, I'm happy to announce that we've uh, found somebody to manufacture who's here in Missouri. And so all our products are sewn here in, um, in St. Charles, Missouri, uh, just outside St. Louis, which was one of the things that I was really important to me being from St. Louis was that I could manufacture yeah. them and they'd have the, the St. Louis, made in St. Louis, uh, a label on it. But um, learning how to adjust and grow with the, the stage of the business. Sure. And what, in that experience, what was, would you say the sales and marketing piece is the hardest challenge you've had? Or was it just getting off the ground and, and, and thinking through how to, how to start? It, that's a that's a good question. I think it uh, it's always what is the fire you're putting out today. So I think the first fire I had to put out originally the the design um, was going to be plastics, and then I went out and um, got a product designed in plastic, and then it turned out it couldn't be manufactured. And so the first thing oh, you man. know, yeah, so it was one of those <laughs> things where it's just like, okay, then yeah. um, back to the drawing board. And uh -huh. so it's amazing how you start out on these journeys, and then you're like, okay, back to square one. So that was the first you know fire put out was that uh, I thought I had a product, and then it turns out I didn't. So I went back to step um, stage zero and said, how else could I make this happen? Yeah. Um, so that's how it turned out, and that's why it's a sewn product is because. Uh, Apparently, the size of the holes that you need aren't um, very good for injection molding. Um, yeah. So I learned that lesson. But you know, each day uh, there's a new fire to put out, and there's a new problem to learn how to solve. And I see that with the businesses that we invest in. It's you know, you solve one thing, you figure one thing out, then you have to move on to the next one. There's always something to uh, to learn how to do and to fix. And I think that's why. Uh, 
it's fun to be a to be a yeah. founder and to be an entrepreneur because it, it never gets boring and to be an investor you know yeah, I bet. Um, there's always something going on when you have a portfolio of companies there's always something going on um, with one of your your companies and you know you can't be in it for the good days and you can't be in it for the bad days because it's um, you know it changes just like the weather in St. Louis <laughs> yeah so I, I think in, it speaks a little bit to I think what people the problem and what I've experienced in my own my own um, trying to get some things off the ground is like what is what's kept you from quitting in those moments where they're really difficult, and what's what's kept maybe some of the folks you've invested in maybe a mindset, and I'm sure it's different across the board. People have different reasons for doing what they do, but what keeps you from just saying hanging it up and 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 stopping? That's a good question. the 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 answer that I come back to is. Um, the next business I start, I've always said that I would have a co-founder because I think it comes down to having those people around you who you say, you know, you can keep at it, you can keep doing it. So whether it's, um, you know, my husband or my sister um, or my sister-in-law who've always been supportive, I think it's having those people around you who say, like, you can keep, you know, you can keep at it, you can keep doing it. Sure. Um, you know, or my son Jack really. Uh, likes prototyping and playing with the good. So it's, you know, it's one it's of those so people. And then it comes back down to yourself is that you have to believe in what you're doing and, and know that there's a way forward. Um, so sometimes you do have to, to take a week off or, you know, take a few days off. And uh, um, I think it's a lot easier if you have a, a co-founder or team um, that you've assembled to help you get through those weak moments and the system of, of other entrepreneurs and um, folks who are out there founding businesses, who's, who you can lean on in those tough times. But uh, people who are persistent um, and resilient—that's that's key. Yeah, and I, I assume you see that just tons in the companies you're investing in. We can move into a little bit more of your your um, Lewis and Clark ventures and yep. what you're doing here. They have but, no choice once they take our yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> then you guys are all over them. Like. Yeah, once, once you take our money, then it's, you know, then, then we're like the, the reminders. Like, no, yeah, there, there uh, is no quitting. <laughs> there is no quitting, yeah. And if you want to quit, there, there's a door um, <laughs> that you can walk out of and we'll find somebody who's, who doesn't want to quit. Um, no, in all That's honesty, so is, is that, you know, we're, we're here to support our entrepreneurs and to encourage them. And, you know, really, once you do take venture money, um, you know, be smart about who you take money from at all stages of the business, not just if you're lucky enough to get to a Series A, but the angels um, and incubators or accelerators that you go through. Um, yes, it is money, and money is an essential resource, but the brain power that comes with it, really, really consider that and look into that because it is the people around um, the table with you helping you solve those problems. And, um, figuring out what to do next in those dark or difficult moments um, yeah. that do impact the business and, and make it. So we always want to be a good partner uh, to the people we back. And uh, I always say that uh, good people build great businesses. And so we look to invest in, in good people. And, and That's really, really I want to I want to deep dive into that because I think all of the venture I, I've read some books and I'm by no by no means am I any type of expert in this, but. It's fascinating that the the venture capitalists that I've read up on, or what you're saying to me right now, 
invest in people. They don't yep. really invest in ideas. They don't invest in necessarily that as much as they invest in the people. Can you speak to like what kind of person you're looking looking for when you're when you are considering a significant investment? For me, it really comes down uh, again to those qualities of being resistant and and um, persevering and patient. And it's the soft qualities that I discover when I sit down to have coffee or lunch or dinner. Um, you know, the people can give great presentations and uh, have wonderful business ideas, but if I can't get through a meal with you, then there's no way I'm <laughs> investing in you. And, and, it's, and yeah. it's the truth. It's, uh, you know, other people will talk about this as well is, um, you know, really being able to sit down and connect with somebody. And I like to think of it as, um, you know, it's five to seven to 10 years. Life happens in those five yeah. to 10 years, a lot of life. Uh, and so you have to be, um, you know, when you say I do, I, uh, my husband and I have been maybe married for like eight years. And so when I think of it from that perspective, like it's a, it's a long time you're mm -hmm. committed to these companies, mm -hmm. like five to 10 years, that's, that's a commitment. And so you wanna invest in people that, that you enjoy being with. Some uh, venture capitalists talk about like the car test. Would you drive across the country with those people? <laughs> um, could you commit to being in a car that long? And on the good days, it's easy to be together, and it's on the hard days where you need to work through problems, when you need to figure out a way, you know, when your back's against the wall and you need to figure a way out, that uh, it comes down to those, those soft qualities. So, um, you know, how, but do, how do you figure that out on the front end, though? Because you don't know, like, you, you probably see them at their best for the, for the most part until you, you, like, hit a wall and then you're like, okay, this is when I know I'm going to find out what their character is. How do, how do you get there? I can't, I can't unveil my tricks, but you know, <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you know, the kinds of, it, it is trade secrets to know, but it's the kind of question. I mean, it's amazing what you can learn. Like what, what interests you? What do you do outside? Or, um, it's again, these soft questions that one of the questions I was testing actually out on, um, uh, a new CEO, I was like, okay, would you rather be the person who, who made the tools, like if you were on Survivor, would you rather be the person like making the tools or using the tools or both, you know? Yeah. So, but anyway, so it's getting to the idea of you often see early stage uh, CEOs who just wanna create the next product, mm -hmm. um, which is where I find myself to be, versus who wanna create the product and then operationalize it and implement it and turn it into a business. And so if you invest in a dreamer, you'll realize revenue is often slow to come and there's often issues with the business. And so um, anyways, you can playfully, I'm always uh, looking for different questions to ask um, that, that might uh, get at that idea. Is, are you somebody who, um, you know, is, is often, you know, is, is kind and considerate, but also um, at times aggressive and, you know, somebody who's gonna persevere and then uh, somebody who's going to get down to business and, and focus versus drift off in the clouds sure. all day long. And do you have an example of somebody who risked like significant risk to start a business that you guys were like all in on that maybe they even had like real struggles at the outset but like they've knocked it out of the park? Because I really want to talk about risk for people and kind of give this real world view of like real people that have real struggles that risk, have make significant risk to start a business. But 
on the other hand, it pays off because they have the persistence, they have the character, yeah. they have the ability to, to do that. So at this point in time, I can't give you somebody from our own portfolio, but um, I know I mentioned to this to you on the phone when we chatted was Phil Knight with Shoe Dog. Like that's for me the inspiration that, that I go back to. Um, if you go and read uh, Shoe Dog, uh, it's a great book and it's about the founding of, of Nike, um, originally as Blue Ribbon Sports. And uh, it's amazing how long Nike took to become Nike. And he did go out there and take um, you know, risk and he worked a part-time job um, while he was in the early days of standing up Blue Ribbon. Um, and certainly at the time, he was just an average person. You know, yeah. today he's not. Yeah. Um, but at the time he started, he was truly an, an average person. And I see people, um, I see people take risks all the time. Uh, I see people take risks all the time and um, and come out the other side. Are you are are you excited about seeing people? When you know that you have a good person that you, you're excited to invest in, you know they're going to stumble, but you're excited because you know it's going to pay off. Do you get excited about them making more mistakes because you know that they're going to adapt and kind of figure that stuff out? Or are you kind of like, you kind of cringe a little bit when the mistakes are made and you're like, I hope they can get through this? That's where I think being a, a patient investor pays <laughs> off, right? We talk about patience as an entrepreneur, but you need to be a patient investor. Um, because you know, people do make mistakes, you do stumble, you do encounter problems. And it's being able to take that deep breath just like you do with your kids and say, okay, it's gonna be okay. You know, and what, what's the best way to solve this problem? Um, and so that's, that, those are the characteristics, is people who can adapt and change and uh, identify the true problem at hand and the best solution to apply. And then if the solution works, great. If it doesn't, find, find the next solution. But um, certainly rolling up your sleeves and working alongside of those people are the, the ones we enjoy engaging with. Sure. And right now, it, kind of changing directions a little bit, but right now, what are you like super passionate about in, your, in the venture world, world where you see like you're really thrilled to be in the, midst of, in the middle of it? Yeah, so um, our venture fund focuses on um, IT broadly, and then you know investing in IT companies, and then um, I focus exclusively on healthcare, and then uh, we also invest. My colleagues invest generally in B two B software, um, and then ag tech, agriculture technology sure. as well, which is I think a great like thing. Yeah, yeah, being from from Missouri, um, our colleague Larry, we have a, a dedicated. Um, ag tech fund as well uh, with some super sharp people around the yeah. table. Uh, so if anybody has any ag tech ideas um, or any other ideas for that matter, please uh, please reach out to us. But um, in healthcare, I think healthcare is an, ex it's an, it's been an exciting time to be investing in healthcare, I think since the last like six years, since yeah, I actually started sure. investing in healthcare um, and really figuring out uh, there's this theme we talk about in uh, healthcare, which is the triple aim or quadruple aim of reducing costs, um, increasing uh, the patient and provider experience, if you speak to the, um, the quadruple aim, and then improving the overall quality of healthcare. Um, and so I'm passionate about going out and finding companies that fit the, the triple aim. 
um, because I think those are the companies that are really going to help us as a country deliver better health care for all, sure. which, is, um, which is what I'm passionate and excited about doing. Um, and then finding people who are using the, the latest and greatest technology uh, to change healthcare, whether it's telehealth and bringing access to, to folks who might not other have convenient access um, and high quality healthcare. Um, uh, you know, what I'm trying to think what else, or, or transportation. One of the areas I love these days is, um, you know, how do you get patients to and from their appointments who don't have access to transportation? Sure. So how can you adapt the technologies that exist today uh, to the healthcare environment. And with traditional healthcare, uh, it, it feels like there are just some outdated, expensive methods of performing treatment. And it feels like it's opening up an even bigger door for new technology, innovative technology to answer the, the problems that are there currently. Um, how, do you, how do you see healthcare changing? Because it's such a, it's such a huge piece of our economy, one-sixth of our economy, right? Yep. And we're, we're obviously not doing a lot of things well there, but I think we are in the innovation space. I think that there's a, some amazing things going on. So could you encourage people that maybe think that, oh no, healthcare is, you know, it's this boondoggle and we have all these baby boomers who yeah. are getting older and older that yeah. are gonna need more innovative care. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's, what's encouraging about what's happening in healthcare right now where you really see reduced costs and yeah. better outcomes? Well, that's what we do see companies that are actually reducing the cost of care, um, improving the experience of care and improving the quality. Uh, you look at some of the risk-based models and value-based models, um, you really do see amazing, uh, you can see some amazing results there. And, uh, the different companies we look at, we always look from that point of view is, is how can this tool or how can this platform take costs out, either make the, um, uh, you know, make the exchange of information more efficient. Uh, there's a lot of healthcare that's still based on pen sure. and paper. Yeah. And uh, if you digitize healthcare, you can save a lot of money. Um, and not to mention make it a lot easier for patients to, to access their, you know, medical bills or access their electronic medical records and their health information. Yeah. So, uh, and coordinating care through pr from provider to provider would probably be very helpful. You know, they go to maybe 15 different doctors if you have a bunch of different diagnoses. Yeah, and, and finding ways to, to coordinate care. Uh, all of those things are key. And I think one of the, I mentioned I had um, a work uh, event last night and was talking to people and they're very passionate about aging in place. And uh, sure. you know, with the aging population, figuring out how to deliver compassionate care um, in a low-cost setting, which is often at home, um, people often want to stay at home as long as possible. Sure. And how do we get services into the home and uh, and make sure that they're still connected to society, um, and you know, have the food they need, have the transportation they need. Um, I think will be a huge opportunity to, to invest in um, and impact the, the aging patient population as well. Sure. Well, before we're done with the interview, I always ask, um, what would you encourage somebody who's sitting at home, maybe they have another job, they want to do a side thing that they're passionate about, what would you encourage uh, just a normal, everyday person to do to, to really start and do something they're passionate about. It may not just be business, it may be 
you know, something, getting involved in the community or starting some foundation or what, yeah. what have you, how would you encourage somebody? I would say start talking about it. Start telling the, the people who are close to you and, and that you love about it. Start talking to like random people about it who might be able to inform. I think once you start talking about your idea, um, it kind of puts you on the hook for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, once, you, once you start talking about it, uh, you never know who might have a resource that can help you out, um, a connection that might be able to help you out and, and move you to that next step. Uh, there's kind of what I call Pumpy 2.0, uh, the next phase of the business that at some point I figured I'd get to and I started talking about it this summer accidentally and it, it took me on a wild goose chase um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wasn't planning to do this for like another year or two. Sure. Um, but once you start talking, it's amazing what will happen. So um, start, start, start by talking, telling people about it. and. Uh, you'll find you you end up on a path sooner than you thought you'd be. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Well, Helen, thank you so much for spending time with me. I know your time is very precious. You have your own business. You're oh, a venture no. capitalist. You're in this kind of booming area in St. Louis where entrepreneurialism is really exciting. I'm, I'm thrilled with, I'm very encouraged with what's happening in St. Louis. Um, so thank you very much yeah. for your time. No, it's great. Uh, just to reiterate the fact is that St. Louis is a wonderful place to start a business. Missouri is a great place to start a business, and you can find workers. Um, you know, people do want to start businesses here, and people do want to be employed at startups and be a part of the next uh, generation of, of businesses. And we have a tremendous amount of resources. Um, I know for a fact in St. Louis, um, but throughout Missouri as well. So get started. That's great. Helen, thank you so much. No, thank you. Mm -hmm.